Turn with me, please, uh, to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 8. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. I told someone else this morning, uh, Bob contacting me and inviting me to preach here made me think that perhaps Joe has been talking about me behind my back. Perhaps it's true. Maybe he's had something good to say. Uh, But I'm delighted to be here with you this morning. Uh, In addition to teaching at PCS, uh, I also uh, preach as the Lord provides opportunity. Uh, I preach at a couple of churches outside of Waynesboro. Um, When someone commented here this morning that this was a small church, uh, I had to chuckle a little bit um, because the two churches that I preach at twice a month outside of Waynesboro uh, have an average of 8 to 10 people. Um, They're not able to support a full-time pastor. Uh, But they they put up with me twice a month and a couple other folks come and help out. As I've been preaching there, we've been going through the book of Acts. Uh, And this is sequentially uh, where we're at in that series. So that's providentially why you get to hear from Acts chapter 8 this morning. Uh, I'm going to be focusing on verses 26 to the end of the chapter. Um, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. uh, So... Uh, If it's a little different from yours, that would explain it. Uh, The heading in my Bible is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, If you're not familiar with Philip, uh, we first met him in chapter 6 of Acts when the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution uh, and they appointed seven men to care for the widows. Um, Many of us Presbyterians consider them to be the first deacons. Um, And so we saw Philip at that time was introduced as a man of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, and obviously a compassionate man caring for the widows. But the next time we meet this deacon, uh, he's preaching, which is what we associate with the ministry of elders, especially teaching elders. Uh, in chapter 8, Philip was preaching the gospel in Samaria. He was the first one to preach the gospel there, and he's preaching, you know, kind of open air, public gospel ministry. Um, when we come to verse 26, we find Philip, instead of doing what we might associate as mass evangelism, he's doing more one on one, personal evangelism. Uh, And so, as you hear this passage, think about uh, what it would be like to have an opportunity similar to the opportunity that God gave to Philip in this situation. Hear now God's Word, Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. 
And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Here ends the reading of God's word for today. May he add his blessing to it. Here we have what what I am referring to as a case study in evangelism. It's kind of a classic example of personal evangelism. And I want to note several things from this. First of all, we're going to see that this was a divinely orchestrated opportunity. It's not something that Philip conjured up. He didn't force it. It came rather naturally because it was something that God had appointed. Secondly, Philip is seen as a willing witness. He was obedient. That's the power of what happens in this chapter. He simply did what God told him to do. We also see in this that what he shared with the Ethiopian eunuch was a Christ-centered message. Without that, there is no salvation. And finally, we're going to notice that as a result we have the desired outcome of an evangelistic encounter. So first, let's take note of of how this is an orchestrated opportunity in this situation. Verses 26 through 29 show us this. It begins by saying, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go. I've never had guidance quite that clear. Uh, that's really dramatic. It's not surprising in the pages of Scripture. I would be surprised to have such clear uh, guidance today. Perhaps it could happen. I don't know. But usually the Spirit's guidance for us is a bit more subtle. It was pretty direct in this case. There was no doubt that God wanted Philip to go to a particular place. Now, what may have been surprising, humanly speaking was that Philip was in the middle of a revival in Samaria. He was sharing the gospel there. People were getting saved. The gospel was being spread. And God says, okay, Philip, time to leave. No, wait, God, you've got to be kidding. Things are going great right now. This can't be the right time to go. 
You see, God knows better than we do. And sometimes the way we evaluate circumstances and opportunities is not the way God evaluates them. The angel of the Lord said, rise and go. Told him to go to a particular location. The guidance continued because in verse 29, we read that the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Got him to the right place. And now he connects him with the right person. Divinely guided. A divine appointment. But there was even more than that. I mean, we see that on Philip's side. How God was guiding and directing Philip. But God works on both sides of the equation. God had already been preparing the Ethiopian eunuch for this encounter. And any time you and I share the gospel with somebody, God's already been working on the other side of that equation. What confidence that can give us. Look at the preparation God's been doing. When we meet this Ethiopian eunuch, we're told uh, in verse 27, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He, He was an officer in the court of Candace. He was an important individual. But we also read that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. That's an amazing thing. Why was he going to Jerusalem to worship if he's an Ethiopian? He came quite a distance. Obviously, he had some kind of connection with Jerusalem and therefore with Jews going there to worship. Was he himself a Jew? We don't know. Was he a proselyte? That means someone who had had been a Gentile but basically converted to the Jewish faith. That's possible. Was he a God-fearing Gentile? One who more or less worshipped God but hadn't fully converted to Judaism? We really don't know. The text doesn't say But his heart and his mind had already been prepared by God. He had already been exposed to the teaching of the one true and living God. He had already been exposed to the Jewish faith and the richness of the Scriptures. In fact, speaking of the Scriptures, please don't take it for granted that this man is sitting in his chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. I mean, you and I go home and, you know, we've got five Bibles sitting on the shelves collecting dust. We take it for granted that we have access to the Scriptures. Not so in these days. Most people did not possess any portion of the Scriptures. But this Ethiopian eunuch did. You see what a treasured possession God had provided him already? He's reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Ethiopian eunuch was also prepared in that he had given by God a teachable heart. You know, there there are some people that are just not open to listening. The Scripture calls them fools. Read the Proverbs. You've obviously been reading them together in your corporate readings. The Scripture says if you're not willing to listen 
to people and to wisdom and to instruction, you're a fool. The wise man hears those kind of things and takes it to heart. This Ethiopian eunuch is in that sense a wise man. Because you see in verse 31, when Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch said, how can I unless someone guides me? So you see his humility. And then when you read the passage, then in verse 34, the eunuch says to Philip, about whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? As a teacher, I can tell you, I appreciate good questions. Students who just sit there and don't interact with me at all, don't look up at me, don't ask questions, I wonder whether they're really paying attention. This eunuch was paying attention. He was seeking knowledge and understanding. The Lord had given him a teachable heart. He was ripe. He was ready, prepared by God. And and then I want you to consider for a moment the perfect timing of this encounter. Okay? Philip is divinely directed, go up to that chariot. So he goes up, and, and as he comes up to the chariot, he's hearing this guy reading something. He figures out pretty quickly he's reading Scripture. And what he's reading from is Isaiah chapter 53. Right at the moment that Philip arrives, the eunuch is reading Isaiah 53. Now, let me tell you, you know, usually when when Christians today try to present the gospel, we're all in the New Testament, quoting verses out of the New Testament, you know, John 3.16, Romans 6.23, whatever. If I was going to pick any passage out of the Old Testament from which to share the gospel with somebody, it would be Isaiah chapter 53. It shouts the atonement of our Savior. It's awesome. And that's exactly what the eunuch was reading when Philip walked up. I mean, God's got perfect timing, folks. It's wonderful. And God was not just doing this in a random way. Okay, let me take a random Christian and bring them together with a random non-Christian and poof, we'll have an evangelistic encounter. No, God had a bigger purpose in mind. The book of Acts is all about the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church. And and they are breaking boundaries left and right. Philip had just gone to Samaria. The Jews despised the Samaritans and vice versa. He broke racial barriers when he preached the gospel there. And now, he's sharing the gospel with an Ethiopian. Probably, this represents, in Scripture, the first black Christian. That's awesome. That's exciting. And what's even more exciting is that when this encounter was finished, this man went back home and undoubtedly was sharing his faith back home. See, God was spreading the gospel, breaking boundaries, advancing the church. Now, as we have seen from this passage, just in the opening verses, that this was a divine encounter, a divine appointment, I want to bring out two specific applications for us. 
The first is an encouragement. Everybody in this room, myself included, gets scared when we think about sharing the gospel with people. It's intimidating. We fear rejection. We fear that we, we don't know what to say. We're going to stumble over our words. We think we're going to say something wrong. We, we fear they're going to judge us because of mistakes we've made. But the encouragement is this. God sovereignly sets up these kind of appointments. I'm not expecting an angel to talk to me or to you. But I am expecting the same sovereign God who was at work then to be at work now, guiding and orchestrating every detail of our lives. It may be that you forgot something at the grocery store and had to make another trip back. And the reason for that is because God wanted you to meet up with somebody there. It may be that you had a doctor's appointment and you hated the fact that you had to go to the doctor. You don't like going to the doctor at all. But there in the waiting room was someone that God wanted you to have a conversation with. It may be someone you see every day, but now there's a new opportunity that had never presented itself before. But keep your eyes open. Be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit and the prompting in your heart because God will open doors. He'll set up appointments. He's in that business. Now that's the encouragement side, but there's a warning side too. There's this slogan that that has sometimes been popular among some Christians. Let go and let God. Now, there is some marvelous truth about that. But far too often, Christians take this idea of, well, you know, God's the one leading and guiding, and and I'm just going to sit back and wait until He, like, grabs grabs a hold of my arms and stands me up. You know, I mean, they're waiting for something very dramatic and obvious when quite often it's the still small voice. And quite often, it's simply that we are to be faithful and just do what God said to do. He didn't say wait for an opportunity. He just said, share the gospel. Go and make disciples. And the mistake we sometimes make with that verse is we think the word go is the command. In in the original Greek, it's, it's not a command form. It's an ing word. Participle gerund, I don't know. But it's an ING word. Going, make disciples. Which basically means, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, be about the business of making disciples. Which necessarily involves sharing the gospel. Now, we've seen the divine appointment. I just want to point out very quickly Philip's response to that opportunity. He was a willing witness. In verse 26, the angel said to Philip, Rise and go. Two commands. And if you look at the very next verse, And he rose and went. I mean, the text could not have said more clearly that Philip did exactly what he was told to do. God said, Go. He went. No questions asked. He just obeyed. And furthermore, 
when the Spirit told him in verse 29, go over and join this chariot, verse 30 says, so Philip ran to him. Now, I know some of you have in mind the, the movie Chariots of Fire, and you're picturing you're running, trying to catch up to him. But really, this chariot was probably not a horse-drawn chariot. It was probably a, a wooden cart drawn by an ox. And it would not have been hard to walk at a fast pace and keep up with it. But Philip was eager about doing what God told him to do. He not only didn't delay... He was eager. He ran up to the chariot to do what God had called him to do. And he was bold. This man was a court official. Probably his clothing demonstrated that he was a man of high office. And in any culture, people of high office are approached in a particular way. A a commoner doesn't just barge into the Oval Office, right? There's a protocol you follow. And yet Philip did not allow that to hinder him. He pressed on. He moved right in and initiated a conversation with the eunuch. He was bold. And when he had the opportunity... His message was a Christ-centered one, as ours always must be. Now, the eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53, I said. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? He's, he's meeting the eunuch where he's at. He's, he's not trying to introduce a foreign topic, but it came up naturally because he was reading Scripture. And Philip said, wow, you, you understand what you're reading there? And then he goes into talking about the Scripture. Verse 32, Now the passage of Scripture he was reading was this, and it quotes it. The eunuch asked the question, verse 34. Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Uh, On this occasion, at least, Philip did not share his testimony. In our day and age, sharing our testimony is a very popular way to break the ice with someone or to try to witness to them. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It can be a very helpful thing. It's it's a good thing to share what God has done and is doing in your life. And I hope you don't have to reach back 15 years to share with someone what God is doing in your life. But that's not the focus here. Philip shared the Scripture. He explained the Scripture. And that is always necessary. Sharing your testimony can be very good, but Paul in Romans 10 tells us that faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of Christ. We must have the Word of Christ proclaimed for faith to be brought about and for that person to become a Christian. It's got to be there. I love how the, the King James and New King James translate this phrase. I don't know. I, I, the ES, uh, the, the Scripture reading was, I think, from the um, uh, American Standard 
Bible. Um, but in the English standard, it says, uh, he told him the good news about Jesus. New King James simply says, he preached Jesus to him. I love that. The simplicity of it, the straightforwardness of it. We must tell others about Jesus. And if you just, for a moment, look at the two verses, verses 32 and 33, quoting the passage from Isaiah 53, we'll get a sense of some of what Philip must have shared with this eunuch on this occasion. It tells us, first of all, in verse 32, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. If you point that to Jesus, seeing that fulfilled in Jesus as in fact it is, you are reminded that Jesus suffered silently. You read through the Gospels, and as Jesus is questioned by Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Sanhedrin, as Jesus is questioned by Pilate, the governor, there are many times that he doesn't open his mouth. Literally, he does not defend himself in any way, shape, or form. And Pilate will press him. You hear all these accusations. What do you have to say for yourself? And Jesus won't respond. Jesus does not respond in that case because it is not His position to defend Himself. He will not defend Himself because it is His mission to suffer, to go to the cross. He was a willing victim. Verse 33, In His humiliation, justice was denied Him. Indeed, Pilate in the Gospel of Luke says three times, this man is innocent. This man does not deserve to die. This man has not done anything wrong that you've accused him of. He, he keeps saying, Jesus is innocent, he's innocent, he's innocent. And yet, Pilate sent him to be crucified. Jesus suffered as one who was completely innocent. He did not die on the cross for His own sins. Every one of us has sinned. We deserve to die. We deserve God's wrath and judgment. But Jesus died unjustly. You can even go back and, and reading about the Jewish trial... You can point out several things about the trial that just weren't right. They, they may have been outright illegal. His trial took place at night. In the middle of the night, instead of during the daytime. It took place at Caiaphas' house, the home of the high priest, not in the temple where it was supposed to take place. So, really, think about this. What would you conclude if there was a trial that took place in the local sheriff's backyard and then the person the same day was hung? You'd think lynching. You would not think a legal proceeding and a fair trial. That's what happened to Jesus. And then it says, Who can describe His generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Jesus died. He wasn't just punished. 
not just mocked and beaten, but he humbled himself even to death on the cross in obedience to the Father and out of love for us. Now that's just a portion of what Philip undoubtedly shared with the eunuch. The fact that he had to share a gospel message with the eunuch, that faith comes from hearing the Word, and that Christ is the gospel, that indicates to us that if any of us are going to be effective at witnessing to other people, we need to know the Word. It is shocking how biblically illiterate many Christians are today in America. We just don't know our Bibles. I mean, I see it all the time. I, I was grading papers over Thanksgiving break. Fun, fun way to spend your break, by the way. I was grading papers, studying the Psalms. My students were studying the Psalms, and one of them kept saying, Paul says this, and Paul said that. And I'm like, no! Paul is in the New Testament. It couldn't have been written by Paul. And we just don't know these things. Now, you don't necessarily need to know who wrote what, but you do need to know some of the basic facts of the gospel. To be equipped to share the gospel, you should know some passages of Scripture by memory that you can share, even if you don't have your Bible with you or can't find it on your phone. Now, one, one of my favorite verses for this is Romans 6.23. It's one verse, and it shares the whole gospel in one verse. For the wages of sin is death. And that gives you an opportunity to talk about how all of us have sinned, how we deserve God's wrath and judgment, and, and we can't get out of that situation ourselves. We're doomed. The wages of sin is death. It's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's not what we deserve. You don't buy gifts for yourself. Well, some of us do, maybe in the days after Christmas. But a gift is something that's given to you freely. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. The gift of God is eternal life. Life. We deserve death. God gives us the opposite. Eternal life. And how is that? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you can even, if, if you're in a restaurant, you can even draw it out on a napkin and show a little cliff over here. The wages of sin is death. A little cliff over here. The gift of God is eternal life. And then draw the bridge. In Christ Jesus our Lord. But whatever scriptures you learn, learn some scriptures that proclaim the basic facts of the gospel so that you'll be equipped. I don't know if this church uh, has ever done evangelism explosion training or anything like it. Um, It's not a perfect system, but it's a good system. It's a tool. It gives you an outline to memorize and learn so that when God provides those opportunities, you can share. Um whether you do it that way or some other way. Learn the Scriptures. Read it. Study it. Saturate your minds and hearts with God's Word. And by doing so, God will be preparing you for these divine appointments. So that hopefully, 
What happened in the eunuch's case can happen in your case also. We see that after Philip shared with him, verse 36, they're going along and the eunuch sees some water, says, hey, how about I get baptized right now? Now, there's, there's not been in the text any clear and explicit mention that he received the gospel, that he prayed to receive Christ, that he became a Christian, whatever. Um, and so, in some translations, King James and some others, um, you'll see another verse in your Bible. If you were paying attention, you'd see that the English Standard and many modern translations went from verse 36 to 38 with no 37 in there. There's a text note. Verse 37, when it's there, says, And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That likely was not in the original text. It's perfect theology. Okay, It is absolutely orthodox. And I have no doubt that before Philip baptized the eunuch, he confirmed that the eunuch did in fact have faith in Jesus Christ. But we see baptism here, which is a sign and seal of our salvation, of the gospel and its benefits. You remember the Shorter Catechism 94. The sacrament of baptism is a washing with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is a sign and seal of three things. First, that we are joined to Christ. We are united to Him by faith. And baptism is a sign and seal of that. Secondly, that we receive the benefits of the covenants of grace. It's a sign and seal that we have actually received eternal life and everything that goes with it. And thirdly, that we are engaged to be the Lord. See, what happened in the case of this eunuch was he made an initial commitment to love and follow Jesus Christ. You, if you are a Christian here today, have made that same commitment. But we're not finished yet. The Great Commission didn't say go and make converts. It said make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. We're still in the process of doing that and learning that. We are engaged. We still await the wedding supper of the Lamb when Christ returns. That's when our salvation will be complete. In the meantime, our baptism testifies that we are committed to Christ and Christ alone, seeking to love and follow Him. And when we share the gospel, that's what we are hoping God the Spirit will work in the heart of those to whom we share the gospel. That they would make that commitment. And the result is beautiful. Verse 39, The eunuch saw Philip no more and went on his way rejoicing. The gospel brings life and joy. Now it's possible that even though you're here in this church on a Sunday morning and you got all fancied up as we do and you may even have a smile on your face this morning it may be that some of you are not yet Christian today could be the day Uh, if you have not yet trusted in Christ 
have not yet acknowledged your sin. And acknowledge it today in recognition that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could have eternal life. And you can have it now, today, right now. But for the most of you who probably already are Christians, I just want to encourage you. Love the gospel. Live the gospel. Share the gospel. Our God is so good, so powerful. He is the sovereign Lord. And He's guiding and orchestrating every circumstance of your lives to accomplish His purpose. And He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you know? Family member? A neighbor? A friend? Who do you know that needs to hear this message? Pray that God would give you an opportunity and give you the boldness to run toward it. Let's pray. Most merciful God, we bless Your name. We adore You. Jesus Christ, thank You for Your obedience unto death. How You lived a perfect life and died on the cross so that we could experience joy everlasting. Father, I pray Your continued blessing on this congregation and each one gathered here. May we walk by Your grace, keeping in step with Your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.